0: Today's episode is with Alex Chasovsky. He's a market researcher and analyst who's worked and advised companies throughout the U.S., Europe, Brazil, China, and Japan for the last 15 years. He's been featured on all sorts of things like NPR, BBC, and The Wall Street Journal for his acumen and understanding how to navigate your business and make strategic decisions based on what the market is telling us. So often it feels like it's so hard to know where to take your business tomorrow or the week after, even next month. Alex is so gifted at understanding how to navigate the strategy of your business, and he's bringing you some good advice today. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Thanks for checking another episode of the Good Advice podcast, sitting down with Alex Jasovsky uh, here from all the way in New Hampshire. Uh, Alex is the ITR Economics Senior Consulting Advisor and a sought-after keynote speaker. He's highly experienced market research and analyst with more than a decade of experience in subjects that include macroeconomics, industrial manufacturing, automaton, automation, excuse me, and advanced technologi- te- technology trends. He's consulted and advised many companies throughout the U.S., Europe, Brazil, China, and Japan for the last 15 years. And he's been featured on NPR, the BBC, and in the Wall Street Journal. We're going to be talking a little bit about business strategy today, economics, and really how do you manage your business to greater profitability. Alex, it is so exciting to have you here today.
1: Thanks for having me, Blake. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, it was a little challenging getting through that intro, but we did it. And so I'm excited now to sit down and chat a little bit about what you're passionate about and more importantly, to give our listeners some real actionable advice for their business.
1: Yeah, me too. I think uh, with everything going on in the world around us, uh, we tend to allow emotion, fear, and some of the noise to drive our decision-making. And I'm here to help people cut through all that. Rely on good quality data and evidence to make their business decisions, and you know, really, at the end of the day, be a data-driven decision maker, which which is what you have to be right now to cut through all of that.
0: So, there's a couple of different directions I'd love to go with that. First of all, I, I love the whole concept of data-driven decision making. What I've noticed is that people are, for the most part. Um, Ineffective in knowing how to navigate data. So, like a really great example of this was I was talking to a company that they were pointing out how their social media really grew after this one big moment in their business. And I asked for evidence of this and they pointed to this chart that showed like followers, people checking, you know, the hits on their website. Well, what they didn't realize was it was part of this naturally increasing line that. It really didn't show anything had changed. It was kind of just growing on its own. But in their mind, hey, the number at the end of this week was higher than the number of the than the number last week. So what we did must have worked. What's been your experience with people who um, maybe they have data, but they're really not sure how to navigate it, or worse, they're using it to their own detriment, maybe developing strategy in a way that's really not grounded in reality. What does that look like in your experience?
1: So there's, there's many ways of looking at this. I think the example that I can talk to that is probably the most egregious uh, case for a misuse of data is what we all hear about in terms of the macroeconomic uh, performance, like GDP, for example. So the, the way that the U.S. government rep- reports on those figures is they are seasonally adjusted annualized data. So if you remember when we were talking about the second quarter number, we had these horrific, uh, a contraction of 32.9% annualized. And, you know, obviously that drives a lot of emotion and a lot of fear in people's minds. And so they tend to overreact and they, they really tighten that belt and they, you know, hoard cash. They don't want to do any kind of investment, but the reality is uh, you have to understand what drives the way that the, the government looks at that data. So they're essentially saying, That number is, if you compare the second quarter of this year, when we had a full shutdown of the economy because of the pandemic, to the performance during the first quarter, and then imagine, if you will, that all four quarters of the year were exactly the same, right? So it's this annualized notion. The same can be seen in the third quarter number, which showed a 33% improvement, but again, it's it's all in how you interpret it. I think the the way that business decision makers really need to think about it, uh, in particular, as they look towards the future and the plans that they're making for 2021 and beyond is, you know, they love to assign letter shapes to the recovery, right? V-shaped, U-shaped, W-shaped, K-shaped, whatever you want to talk about. The reality is it's that is largely a function of math, right? The rates of change tends to If they go very negative, then they're going to be very positive in the second quarter of next year when we don't have a full scale shutdown of the economy. And so the the focus needs to be on how long do we actually think that it takes the economy to fully recover from the pandemic and the downturn that we're in right now. And, you know, when we look at whether it's from a GDP basis, that's more of a consumer side of the economy or the more industrial basis, kind of manufacturing and heavy industry, oil and gas. You know, we're talking about a couple of years before we dig ourselves out of the hole that we find ourselves in. And I guess the last point that I'll make on this question is about company specific data, right? The decision maker and, and management teams, large and small, what they tend to do is they look at their performance for the year as a whole. So they'll look at all of 2020, they'll compare it to 2019, and they'll make really important decisions based on the growth number. On that one calculation, so they're going to see a minus, let's call it five, minus ten, minus fifteen percent number, and they're going to say, "Well, we have to, you know, hold our horses. We have to tighten that belt. We cannot invest right now." But the reality is, you've got to look at that performance continuously because it signifies changes in your own company's business cycle. So, yeah, the, your business is clearly down right now. But our expectation at ITR Economics is that you're going to be seeing a low point in that cycle in the first quarter of 2021 and then the rest of next year is actually going to be marked by a rising business cycle trend. So as you approach that low point, you've got to have this buy low, sell high mentality, right? So now is actually one of the best times to be thinking about how do I position my business to capitalize on that growth that we're going to see in 2021? What kind of people do I need? What kind of capacity planning do I need to be having? Is there an opportunity for some MA type of activity, you know, to buy distressed companies at the low point? So looking at things once a year or once every six months is just not enough. In order to be a true data-driven decision maker, you've got to have a practice, a habit of somebody in your organization tracking your performance, plotting your rates of change, identifying where you are in your own cycle, and then making corresponding business decisions on that information. And We've got great tools on our website. If you go to itreconomics.com forward slash methodology, you can learn how to do all of that. Track your rates of change, plot them to identify business cycle phases. Identify leading indicators that can have a good degree of accuracy in predicting what you will face down the road, and then implement then that into your decision-making process. So, sorry for the unloading of information there, but there's a lot to be said for using the right data and in the right way that really makes a huge difference from a quality and a timing of decision-making perspective.
0: Well, something I really appreciate you you mentioning. <coughs> excuse me. Something I really appreciate you mentioning is. This whole concept of avoiding the FUD of the economy, you know, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I remember when the pandemic first started, I had a guy who he mentioned that he had just told his sales team to stop selling. He said, No one's gonna be buying right now, just stop selling. Let's put our efforts in something else. And I thought, what I mean, what a detrimental decision for your business that's totally grounded in fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Right. Something that you mentioned, I think is really wise, is recognizing this whole sense of How do you be wise in the moment based on whatever circumstances are present in the economy, but also be proactive for that upswing that's coming? It feels like right now is a really great time for businesses to evaluate their business models. I know many businesses are evaluating the digital side of their business and thinking about what does my digital presence look like? Um, it's, it's been interesting even to see, you know, um, healthcare shift a little bit where now you can talk to your doctor. I had a, a, a doctor's appointment via zoom with my doctor and it's, it's kind of a strange new world,
1: Yeah, but it
0: feels like businesses who are, who they have an appetite for innovation, for forward thinking, for trying to, um, being willing to change how they've always done it, and be open-minded to a new business model. It feels like those are the businesses that are really going to um, see some incredible growth as we go into 2021. Versus the businesses who, right now, as you mentioned, they're they're hunkered down, they've tightened the belt, they're panicked, they're thinking we can't spend any money, and maybe they've even—I don't know how much you guys are seeing this—but maybe they've even. Um, you know, reduced pay of their employees. They've cut back on spending and they might even see a, a loss of talent going into 2021 when some jobs start to hire again and bring on people again. And people start thinking, well, I don't want to work here anymore. I'm going to go work over there because they, you know, they gave a bonus to their people or what have you. right?" Uh, so there's a lot I feel like to unpack there in terms of how businesses can be proactive and can reap the benefits of some, some real opportunities right now?
1: Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. So, so two perspectives that I wanted to share here. I think one of the most consistent conversations I have with our clientele, especially the companies that we advise on a direct one-on-one basis, is they talk about the regret that they have when they think about the opportunities that were available to them back during the 809 Great Recession especially at that low point in 2009 when everybody else was running for the hills and not doing more to invest for the future growth of their business. Because now, with hindsight being 2020, of course, we know that the next decade was a phenomenal growth story. We had the U.S. economy essentially increase by a quarter over that 10-year period, which, considering we're already by far the largest economy in the world, is a phenomenal performance. So my advice to companies right now is – Don't have regret when you look at this opportunity, right? Be bold. Think about it strategically. It's not all going to be working for you, but you've got to think about how to capitalize on the opportunities that are available to you in order to then profit from that down the road. Um, I think that on the employment side, the, the, the critical component that companies sometimes lose uh, you know, lose track of is that their employees are by far their most valuable resource. Companies that thrive are doing so because of who they have on hand. Companies that fail also do so because largely of their people. And so when you think about the news media and, and it's particularly the information that's propagated online about these horrific unemployment numbers, again, you've got to dig deeper. The Sure, yes, there are millions of people unemployed right now that, are, uh, that were not there prior to the pandemic setting in. Right now, we think that number is somewhere between six and seven million based on the data that we're tracking. But the vast majority of those people are concentrated in three key areas, and that's leisure, hospitality, and travel. It is restaurants and it is the retail sector the physical retail space so when you think about as a manufacturing company or as a construction company or as a as a distributor you know you're not facing those kind of declines in the job market you're still extremely competitive you've got to be out there looking for talent you've got to be implementing strategies to retain the people that you have because the competition is fierce they're out there trying to pilfer your top talent all the time i can tell from personal experience that good companies have not stopped hiring during this pandemic. And so you've got to have that emphasis on an eye on the current headwinds for sure, right? And understanding that some flexibility in certain cases may be needed for you to ask your employees, well, perhaps we can come to an arrangement that will help us deal with the challenges of today. But certainly in my opinion that does not include laying off your talented staff and making sure that you have the capability to come back because at the end of the day you got to be in it to win it when the economy comes roaring back we think that happens in the second half of next year
0: now how does a business owner sort of retrain their mind to cuz 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 really ultimately you're you're pushing a little bit onto some of these um perceptions that people naturally have. So a great example of this would be the business owner who just as they go into the pandemic or as they navigate the pandemic, they're thinking I need to cut pay, I need to pull back on maybe employee benefits, you know, all these different things. And in their mind it it feels right down to their core DNA. And to hear someone like yourself say, you know, really invest in your people, really take care of your people, understand that you're top talent, that they're looking at other opportunities, they're even maybe being contacted by your your competition. How does a business owner have the self-awareness to challenge maybe what is entrenched beliefs they've all they've always had? Uh, maybe challenge, not even employee-related, but maybe the way they've approached risk in business, to be more open to risk, to be more proactive with risk. How does someone change and, and evolve their thinking so that they can be more successful, especially in circumstances like the ones we're facing today?
1: Well, I think, in particular, when you look at the dominant presence within you know, the management teams of companies all across the country. Uh, I think it's fair to say that the vast majority of them are baby boomers, right? They're kind of of the mindset of we've done it a certain way for a long period of time. We need to continue to do so or else there's going to be bad things happening. right? And I think when it comes to the labor market, yeah, this is particularly evident uh, related to you know the fact that the millennial generation, which is now the biggest part of the job market, has asked for a long time not to be gauged or assessed in terms of butts and seats mentality, right? It's not an eight to four workday. It's give me the flexibility that I need and I will deliver. I will produce for you. Just let me do it on my terms, right? So a lot of these business owners heading into the pandemic were very hesitant to employ a flexible work approach, you know, let people work from their home several days out of the week. And what we've seen as a result of the pandemic, that I think is causing a lot of uh, opinions to change on the subject, is that we have not seen any decline in productivity, despite the fact that most people are now working remotely. And so you're starting to see these opinions that have stood for decades now try to evolve. And with that comes this realization that, well, if I was wrong about that, maybe I'm wrong about some of the other assumptions that mm-hmm. I've made. Uh, yeah. And so I, I'm encouraged by that, right? Because I think. Uh, especially as we have this generational retirement of the baby boomers. By the way, 10,000 of them retiring every day for the next decade. It's phenomenal what's going on in that demographic perspective. But uh, as they retire and as the Gen Xers and the millennials step into those roles, I think there is going to be this reflected mentality of, I need to challenge my assumptions and assertions. And that rolls out to a wider scale of decisions, including cutting pay. Now, I think it's important to recognize that there will be times when companies might need to ask their employees to cut pay, but it comes down to the way that you communicate with your employees. Rather than just being unilateral in the decision-making, just basically telling them what will happen, it's got to be more of a partnership between employer and employee, right? You are two mutually beneficial kind of entities, and if the employee believes and buys into the vision and the goals of the company... They're much more likely to be willing to go uh, to go along with something like a temporary pay cut because they recognize that the company's really hurting right now. At the same time, you've got to be fair, and when the business starts to do better, you've got to reward those employees, right? right. So it's a, it's a two-way flow, but you've got to be open and honest. You've got to have those conversations. As an employer, you've got to be willing to listen to your people, but you also have to remember that it is your responsibility to communicate to them very clearly what your needs are so that they can help you get to where you want to be as a business. If you have that type of dynamic in a company, then I think it sets the business up for a lot of future success.
0: Well, I think of two different companies, two actual companies that I have been learning about over the last uh, three or four months both of which uh, cut employee pay during the pandemic, as many companies did. One of them, uh, this this last six weeks to eight weeks, they have totally boomed in their business. And not only have they returned employee pay to its previous pandemic levels, but they actually went and backpaid the lost funds from the first couple of months that the pandemic hit, which I thought was pretty admirable.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Uh,
0: The other company cut pay despite the fact that they just reported record-breaking profits for their business. And so if I'm an employee, if I'm a top talent in that business, now suddenly, I think, I think people, sometimes they chalk it up to millennials and you know millennials are just so hard to work with. And there's all these different things that are ascribed to millennials, but I think any average person recognizes the disconnect with that of why has my, my pay been cut and yet you're reporting record-breaking pof- profits it feels like some of these things you don't need a business degree to really understand. Some of these things feel very basic to business, and they feel they feel part of like the um, the core DNA of how you run a successful business, i.e., take care of your people. And yet, it feels like day after day after day. I know me personally; I've had no shortage of content. Of what not to do with your employees, especially during the pandemic. Why does it feel like this disconnect is becoming more and more common? You know, it, it's
1: particularly interesting to me to talk about in the sense that when you go to hire the people that work for you, you're looking for the creme de la creme, right? You're looking to hire intelligent people that will make the best decisions for your business and will produce the most. And then uh, it's fascinating to me to watch these companies then treat those people as if they're idiots. You know, it's, it's like, you know, right. you talk about the average guy, but most people will, would say, you know, the 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 top performers are the ones that are most acutely feeling that disconnect that, that you talked about. So um, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's 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 really really interesting with the kind of some of the demographic changes I mentioned and the advent of younger, more data-driven, more analytical people into the workforce that we are processing information in a very uh, rapid, very uh, holistic way relative to what was expected. You know, you think back to the 80s and the 90s and even the early 2000s. I mean. The world of business has fundamentally changed since 2007 when the iPhone was first introduced. Right? It's only been 13 years, and yet think about how different our day-to-day lives are today than they were 15 years ago. Right, It's absolutely shocking. I am on the road all the time traveling. I don't even know where I'm going or what, where the presentation is until I land in the city that I'm traveling to. And so I think this processing of information and the analytical aspect of today's job force relative to where we were a a pretty short time ago is partly why it's become more and more glaring to us when companies behave in this way, right? We're, We're a lot less sheltered, we're a lot less living in a bubble, and we're much more exposed to the world around us, which is why we tend to notice these things, right? But I think that reality is even before that was happening, the smart people, which are hopefully all of the employees that you're hiring for your organization, You know, don't try to pull the wool over their eyes. Be honest with these people. They will respect you for it because when you do not, I've seen this time and time again, the morale suffers, the performance of the business suffers, and then nobody wins. So you've got to take this very open and honest and direct approach, even when it comes to things that are traditionally taboo, like compensation, for example. You know, most of the millennials. I think the last figure I saw was something like over 55% of millennials have no problems whatsoever openly talking about their compensation. So you've got to recognize that it's not just about that annual, you know, inflation-driven wage increase that that people are expecting. If you expect them to perform, you have to be willing to reward them because if you don't, they're talking amongst themselves. the The cat is out of the bag, if you will. And so. Um, the more honest, the more direct you can be with your people, the more they will respect you, and the more they are likely to be bought into the goals of the business and help you get to where you want to be.
0: I've even seen it in levels of um, transparency around the p and l and like really letting your people know, hey, this is what our this is how our company is performing. This is what it's looking like. And not that you necessarily have to be as transparent of literally every account, you know the minutiae of your business, but letting letting your people understand, like, hey, this is what's happening with the company financially, and this is how your efforts are driving the revenue of the business. I know speaking as a millennial myself, it's powerful when you're able to see that direct line of connection between my work today, my work this week, my work this month, and how that affected the business as a whole. I think that's what people are looking for. And it it almost feels like the shifting of the guard, so to speak, where you have more and more business leaders who are innovative and proactive in in being comfortable with that level of transparency versus maybe the old guard of well that's above their pay grade they don't need to know that kind of stuff um, you know they don't deserve that and even kind of getting into kind of what you implied of you've you've hired these incredibly talented people and yet sometimes we treat them almost like with kid gloves or almost like they're not reliable to handle information in that way. On the same token, it's a bit exciting to see where we go from here, right? In terms of like, where, where does, what does the workplace look like post COVID, which I know I have no idea what it looks like. Um, What are some of your thoughts there? So what are the core principles
1: that uh, I've observed over my career? And, and to give you a little bit of background, I actually was born in the Soviet Union. I lived the first 10 years of my life in Kiev, Ukraine, which is now the capital of that country. But before it was part of the USSR. So I came to America as a 10 year old kid. I fell in love with capitalism and, you know, all the things that are wrapped up into that. And just just uh, absolutely incredible to me that. America, I, I truly believe this when I say it, that America continues, despite all of our problems, to be the best country in the world to live, to raise your family, and most importantly, to become the best version of yourself, right? There is so much opportunity here. If you're willing to work hard and and, and you know uh, do things that other people aren't willing or able to do, then you're going to make great strides in terms of your own development. But this principle that I mentioned, it's this notion that people behave the way that they are incentivized to behave, right? So you've got to give people a reason to want to do well. Uh, So when you look at compensation, just as an example of this, creating that direct link between what a person does and being able to see the results on paper will only motivate them to perform better for you, right? So that's the kind of thing that you want to encourage in your employees and incentivizing them to do that with, whether it's small rewards along the way, maybe it's bonuses at the end of the year or some other sort of incentive program. It doesn't always have to be financial, is a great way to align the desires and the goals of the individual with that of the company. And that's what I think companies need to do as they look to the future. What does the world of work look like in the future? I think the companies that recognize this behavior as as people are incentivized to do and capitalize on that are going to surge and outperform the companies that continue to fall into that category of, well, this is the way we've always done it. We're not going to be uh, breaking that previous trend. They're going to get left farther and farther behind. And and you see it today, you know, in the tech world relative to some of the more traditional industries, the manufacturing domain, construction, you know, these are kind of the the bulk of the businesses in the United States. The the trajectory of growth, right, is is totally different for what those companies are. And their approaches to the way that they treat their, their employees are also quite different. Um, you know, is there a coincidence there? Not sure, probably, but uh, I'll leave it up to the audience to decide for themselves.
0: Yeah, well, I, you know, and it's it's even interesting. I talked to a business owner one time who his perspective on like incentives, and, and I love this topic, by the way, there was a, um, I can't remember if it was a real estate firm or what kind of uh, firm it was, but they had given out massive bonuses over this last holiday season. And some of their employees got bonuses as high as $50,000, yeah. which is just, so um, unprecedented in today's culture. But I had a boss one time who I was speaking to on this topic and he said, you know, my employees, they should already be giving 110% regardless of if there's incentives or not, like they should already be like, they've they've agreed to work for me. They've agreed to do their best. And if they, if almost like if they're a person of character, they will then go out and do the best that they can because that's what they've signed up for. And it was sort of like this, this there, there shouldn't be a reason to have to incentivize behavior because they should already be doing that for me. What's your response to that kind of comment?
1: I think one of the things that has struck me about many of my fellow Americans is the propensity for people to get to a certain point in their career and then plateau. They basically put it on cruise control mode, right? They don't have the hunger, the assertiveness, the the desire to continue growing, whether it's in knowledge or compensation or skills or whatever it may be, right? So when you look at the propensity of you know, the average Joe, if you will, to kind of get to a place of comfort and then plateau from that point, that that really goes against this mentality that you just described on the part of the business owner, that, that there's going to be this idealistic approach that I'm going to do my very best no matter what, right? It's it's a, uh, a perspective that I think does not reflect reality. And, and the reality is very simple. It's that, um, you know, people, again, will behave the way that they are incentivized to behave. So if you want to drive a specific kind of action or behavior, you've got to give people a reason to do that, right? Um, because uh, I think a, a lot of people will kind of just do the bare minimum. And as long as they're meeting the requirements of the job, then it's going to be okay. And you know, they're going to continue to collect that paycheck and 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 live their their lifestyle. Uh, but if you want to really get the best out of people, you want to you want to motivate them, you want to give the reason to do that. Um, a, a little side story. So, my very first job, when I was uh, uh, 14, I got a job at McDonald's. I may, may, may or may not have misled the the corporation at the time. There was no computers back then, so uh, it was harder to to check all of that. But, long story short, got myself a job at McDonald's. I remember I worked up my, the, the chain. I started in, as the lobby cleaning guy, mopping floors, then got to uh, go on the grill and flip burgers and eventually culminated in the, the pinnacle of the youth McDonald's career, which is front register, right? So this one particular Saturday really stands out to me in the sense that uh, it was a franchise owned operation and uh, the owner, when we opened up the store, um, or I should say the manager, Collected the team and he said, We've got a big day today. The franchise owners coming in. We gotta be at the top of our game. So I really need you to, to do your absolute best. Right. So we we got fired up, we, we got pumped up. Uh, uh, At some point in the morning, uh, this was in Dallas, Texas, by the way, so very mild weather. Keep that in mind as I tell the story. Some point in the morning, a woman comes into the restaurant with two small children, maybe two or three years old. And I notice that the kids are wearing only diapers for some reason. Strange. I know I don't I try not to judge, but um, I proceed to serve them their food, you know, being that front uh, register employee. And then they go into the restaurant and, and sit down in the lobby and start eating. As soon as they walk away from my counter, the manager steps up to me He says, Alex, you, you have to go out there and you have to ask them to leave. That's a health code violation. We cannot have children in diapers inside a restaurant setting. So I walked over. I was very polite. I said, I'm sorry, ma'am. We, we're not allowed to have you know uh, children just in diapers in the restaurant. I, I have a great idea. We have a really nice outdoor playground area that you can go and enjoy your food and the kids can run around and won't be an issue. So she was obviously put out, but eventually acquiesced and went out to the the playground area. I went back to work. About 15 to 20 minutes later, another patron of the restaurant comes up to me. He says, you have a situation on the playground that you really need to address right away. So I walk outside, and to my horror, I discovered that after they were done eating their food, the kids went crawling through the tubing of the playscape. At some point, they proceeded to take their diapers off and let's just say, mess up the place in the worst possible way imaginable, right? So I'm like in shock. I go back inside. I tell my manager, here's the situation. Like, I don't really know what you want me to do about it. So he once again collects the team. He says, we have this really bad situation. The franchise owner is expected like imminently. So we need to address it right away. We can't have him coming in to this uh, mess and as, as, this is, you know, uh, if you think back, this is 1994. The minimum wage is 3.25 an hour. And so you, I look around, and like the looks on people's faces, are like, "I make three dollars an hour. I am not crawling through a tube of plastic, you know, uh, pipes cleaning up crap, right? It's not, it's not going to happen." And the manager, you can see his face just visibly just sink. You know, you can. He's he's an older gentleman, so he cannot do the work himself. And I'm standing there thinking two things. Number one, this is kind of my fault since I suggested that they go out to the playground in the first place. But the most important part is I'm thinking this is a real opportunity for me to separate myself from the rest of the individual. So I said, you know, Adrian, this is the manager's name. I said, Adrian, don't worry about it. I'll go take care of it for you. So I put on rubber gloves, you know, uh, elbow length gloves. I took a bucket and a, a sponge and I spent the next half an hour crawling through that tunnel and cleaning up all the mess. And when I was done, I came inside and said, you know, it's it's all taken care of. Don't worry. And he was just so relieved. He said, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And at that point, just kind of business back to usual. I went back to the register. I finished out my shift. At some point, the manager came or the owner came in. They had a a meeting in the back. Um, But, you know, I was getting ready to clock out for the day. And the, the manager calls me into his office and I'm thinking, oh, no, here it comes. You know, I'm probably going to get fired. He says, Alex, when I told the franchise owner what you did, that you volunteered to go out there and clean up this mess, he immediately promoted you to uh, assistant manager. And with that comes a raise from 325 an hour to 650 an hour. So, you know, understand I'm 14 years old, right? I'm a manager at 14 years old. I'm now making double the money that I was making before. And the best part of this whole thing is as a manager, I got the ability to give out free food. The reason why that's important is because the McDonald's was right next to my high school. And so in an instant, I went from uh, being a nobody to being the most popular kid in school because (laughs) I can give out free McDonald's. So it was just a win across the board. And it really talks about... You know this notion that people behave the way that they are incentivized to. I saw a real opportunity to break out, to separate myself from the rest of the peers, to really stand out in the eyes of management. I took that opportunity. They have to recognize that that is the reality of the world that we live in, and those people that don't are really going to be left behind
0: well, and you know you think about this, it's there's two key parts of the story. One, it's it's there's there is talent in your business who's going to go the extra mile. And, you know, whatever mess there is, they're going to be willing to clean it up. The other part of this equation, though, is as a boss, as a leader, what have you, appropriately recognizing your people. And I think that's what your manager and your franchise owner did really well. We, we've, we've sort of lost our sense of how to reward the behaviors we really want repeated. Uh, I, I put out an article last week, and I'm not going to mention them by name, but a national company who did an internal competition, and the way they rewarded their employees was uh, the reward is more hours during Black Friday, and it wasn't less hours. wasn't you get the time, you get days off. It was you get to work more during Black Friday's week, and so naturally, there was a massive backlash against them. Employees internally were like, "Why am I working here to get rewarded with more shifts?" It, that sort of disconnect it feels like is more and more common. But like I mentioned, the story you, the story that you just told. If people listening can really grapple onto this concept of rewarding your people, I think we'd all be much better for it. One last question for the day. Uh, Alex, you've been an incredible guest. We've talked a lot about sort of the long-term strategic thinking that people have to have in terms of their own staff, in terms of their own talent, but also positioning themselves well for future growth of their company. Many of my listeners are young business owners, not literally age-wise young, but maybe they're in that first five years of, of growing their business. And it's hard to move past the day-to-day of whatever fires are happening today, whatever challenges are happening this week, and really think about the business as an entity. It's sort of that old expression of uh, working in your business working versus working on your business. Do you have any advice for maybe the younger business owners on how they can still manage things on a day-to-day basis, but also transition their thinking to positioning their business for long-term growth? What advice do you have there?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it has to be this recognition that they're not going to be able to get to everything. And so they've got to delegate some of these responsibilities Again, they have smart people working for them. Assign someone on your team to track your own performance month after month to report to you what business cycle phase you're in, uh, what your rates of change are doing, what the leading indicators are saying, and together you can have a conversation. What are we doing based on this valuable information that we're collecting? But it it requires a prioritization of that as one of the top things that you need to do, which kind of coincides with that data-driven decision-making approach that I mentioned earlier. And it also requires you to realize that you don't have to do it yourself. You've got people that are much more geared towards tracking the numbers, data analytics. I mean, I think that's becoming much, much more uh, imperative for companies to succeed because relative to an enlightened company, let's say, right, a business in the same industry as you are in that is using this insight, what they're going to be doing is they're actually going to be looking a half a business cycle ahead and they're always going to be beating you on both the upside and the downside. So you're, you're going to uh, be seeding market share to a company like that. You're going to be losing clientele to a company like that. And I think they're going to be more in tune with the needs and desires of their customers allowing them to develop new products and and plug holes in their product portfolio and all of the things that go along with that. So It's not just limited to tracking your own sales performance. It, It is a broader mindset that data is all around you. The companies that leverage it are going to be successful. The companies that don't are going to be left behind, as I've said multiple times already. And Once you accept that, once this notion gets through, then you can actually prioritize it and give it the resources that it deserves because, at the end of the day, Business leaders, your number one like initiative, your number one concern is the deployment of the resources of the organization. And it applies in all areas of the business. Your sales team needs to know which of your vertical markets are going to be the lower hanging fruit, which ones are going to be tougher to close sales in. Your marketing organization needs to know, how do I tailor my marketing content and my promotional items to target a specific subsegment of my business? All of this stuff is driven by data, and you've got to understand that if you're not doing it, somebody else is, and they're leaving you in the dust.
0: Wow. Great challenge and great advice for our listeners today. Alex, what can my listeners do to follow you, to learn more about you, and specifically any offerings that you have currently? I'd love to give you the floor just to share what's going on for you guys specifically. Yeah.
1: We we make it a habit of trying to help business decision makers make better quality and better time decisions. So, we've got a lot of great content on our website. Check out Itreconomics.com. If you want to know more about tracking your own data, uh, go to itreconomics.com forward slash methodology. We've got great tutorials, white papers, free content on there that will teach you how to be that data-driven decision maker. Certainly follow us on the various social media channels. ITR Economics is on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. I have a a personal Twitter profile, at H. Osofsky, so I know complicated spelling, but I'm sure it'll be in the the title of this podcast. Um, So follow us, understand things are changing so rapidly on the ground right now. You need a source of information that is apolitical, emotionless, and much more driven by data. That's what we're here to do. Um, We have great products. The Trends Report is our cornerstone publication. It comes out every month. It's got an executive summary to kind of wrap things up for what's going on in the economy. We've got three-year forecasts for about 40 different vertical markets, including construction series, manufacturing series, financial series. And if you want a presentation, then certainly we're here to help you with that as well. So reach out to us and let's have that discussion. We'll see how we
0: can help your business. Alex, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. You were terrific, guest. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Blake. Alex Chasovsky on the podcast today. Make sure you check out their website, ITR Economics. It's ITREconomics.com. You can also check out their methodology page slash methodology on that same web address. Uh, I'll be sure to put down in the episode notes below uh, those links as well as how you can follow Alex specifically. Also, hey, if you've never checked out the podcast before, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button so we can keep bringing you good advice wherever you are. And of course, be sure to leave us a five-star review. Hey, don't forget we are on Patreon if you want to support the podcast. If you want to be a sponsor of the podcast for as little as the price of a cup of coffee, you can support the podcast and all the good work that we're doing. That's patreon.com slash good advice. That's all we have for you today. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you later. See ya.